what do I what do I think about the Joe Rogan frac fracas? Um, I wasn't going to talk about it because I think it's much to do about anything, but not to do about nothing. But I will, uh, you know, briefly give you my thoughts before we get to a, another topic. Um, listen, I'd be lying if I didn't if, if I pretended we don't want to get on Joe Rogan's show. <laughs> I mean, that's the truth. We want to get on Joe Rogan's show. He's got the biggest audience that I know of uh, on YouTube. Um, Jen and I have a story coming out that I hope he's going to be interested in because obviously if we get on Joe Rogan's show, that would totally um, introduce status quo to a whole new audience that has not seen it yet. So I definitely want to get uh, on Joe Rogan's show, but I'm also going to keep it real as I always do. Listen, Joe Rogan uh, presses, he, he's not, he doesn't fit in like left, right, center. He, he's not any of that. And I think that's what kind of appeals for a lot of people that watch him. He's not really an ideologue. And he also, I believe when I watch him, he is learning as he goes. He doesn't pretend to be an expert on the things he's interviewing. So I think the audience that watches him feels like they're learning along with him. Uh, I don't watch a ton of his stuff, but the few things I've seen, I, I, I thought were good. So um, I've seen some clips that are circulating around today, mostly from, you know, the folks uh, that live on, in, on Wokeback Mountain. Yes, I coined that. We're going to try and pat, uh, trademark it, Wokeback Mountain. But are there some things he said in the past that are troubling? Yeah. I'm not going to pretend. I mean, he dropped the N-word quite a lot. He's not black. Um, I think he said something about black people and Planet of the Apes, which is troubling. Um, I'm not going to pretend that I've spent all day looking into his comments. So I'm not, you know, has he made com- has he made comments? Uh, not, not recently, but like years ago that are troubling. Yeah. But I also think like, should we hang that on Bernie Sanders? I mean, he's not exactly like standing up there with Louis Farrakhan, <laughs> Joe Rogan. I mean, he's made comments that are controversial, probably insensitive, but he's also a comedian too. So to me, I personally think it's all, I personally think, listen, guy's got a humongous audience. He has had reputable people on. There's a hypocrisy in this as well because Joe Biden's campaign tried to get Joe Biden on there. Warren's campaign tried to get Warren on there. Pete Buttigieg's campaign tried to get PD on. So they didn't seem to be so offended by his previous comments when they tried to get on there to maximize his audience. And I guarantee you, if any of them got on there and Joe Rogan endorsed them, the very people outraged on Twitter right now would be silent completely silent just like these same people screaming about that joe rogan endorsed bernie and bernie's campaign elevated it i haven't heard a damn one of them and and to me one of the most outrageous things that the media has ignored if you if you read ronan farrell's reporting that he won a pulitzer prize for on harvey weinstein's repeated sexual assault of women repeated sexual harassment of women hillary clinton's campaign tried to stop Ronan Farrow from continuing on with that story. I don't don't hear any of the people from Wokeback Mountain upset about that. 
and I'm not trying to do like whataboutism here. I could understand if African-Americans are offended by some of the previous things Joe Rogan has said. I could understand that. But the intellectual dishonesty, the hypocrisy, the intellectual lack of consistency angers me. So bottom line, I'd love to get on Joe Rogan's show. Jen would love to get on Joe Rogan's show. I don't endorse everything he has said. And I honestly think this whole, like, what do they call it? Cancel culture, where if somebody, if somebody doesn't completely agree with you or they disagree with you on like a fundamental issue. For example, Joe Rogan has said, uh, I might be paraphrasing or I might have it wrong, that transgender women shouldn't play, I think, in boys' sports or shouldn't be in boys' locker rooms. I might be getting that wrong, but something about transgender people, transgender women not playing sports or or something like that. Uh, I don't agree with that, but does that mean I should hate him or not watch him? No. Like this Donald Trump used the whole PC thing to be racist. He said, oh, everything's so politically correct. That was just a veneer to be racist. But I do think there is a, a little bit too much PC in this culture. Where we can't, you don't have to cancel someone just because some of their views are completely against yours. I mean, my father loves Trump. Should I cancel him? Should I cancel my father? So that's what I think about that. Now, oh, by the way, what the Bernie Sanders campaign has said about this, since it's been a big to-do on the interweb, um, let me get to it. The goal of our campaign is to build a multiracial multi-generational movement that is large enough to defeat Donald Trump and the powerful special interests whose greed and corruption is the root cause of the outrageous inequality in America. Sharing a big tent requires including those who do not share every one of our beliefs, while always making clear that we will never compromise our values. The truth is that by standing together in solidarity, we share the values of love and respect that will move us in the direction of a more humane, more equal world. So, basically, they're saying, like, you don't have to agree with every person that supports you. You know? You don't have to, everybody doesn't have to agree on every single thing. And even if some people's opinions are radically different than ours in some key issues, that doesn't mean we're going to conform to those people's views. You know, when the Democratic Party says this is a big tent, that means we accept as part of the tent, we open up the door of the tent for Wall Street, fossil fuel, big pharma, big real estate, Silicon Valley. When Bernie Sanders' campaign uses it, they're saying we'll accept some people, even some Republicans who are working class. Yeah, maybe they're pro-life and we're pro-choice, but we're not going to adopt pro-life positions to uh, court them. We're going to stand with our convictions. And a lot of those people are going to come to us anyway, because even though we don't provide them every position they believe, even though we're not pro-choice to a, maybe a pro-life person, they gra- they'll gravitate to us because of the economic working class issues that Bernie is speaking to. So to me, I say, yeah, he said some troubling things. I personally think what's more troubling, the fact that Joe Rogan said some troubling things 
and Bernie Sanders' campaign is welcoming his endorsement or the fact that Joe Biden literally pushed the crime bill that has ushered in mass incarceration in this country. The fact that Joe Biden's policies have harmed black people, which, by the way, to be fair, Bernie voted for the crime bill. He's apologized since more than I could say for Joe Biden. When he voted for the crime bill, he said uh, he, he predicted the mass incarceration provision. But he said, I'm going to vote for it because he liked the violence against women provision. I think that was a mistaken vote. So if I'm going to call Biden out, I got to call Bernie out. But at least he voted for it for the for reasons you could understand. He didn't push the crime bill like Joe Biden did. So that's what I believe. Joe Biden uh, was interviewed today. I don't know where this was. Let's see. It was on C-SPAN. Uh, oh, at Iowa's Black and Brown Forum. And literally, you got to give it, I, I apologize, I don't know, the, I don't know who uh, interviewed her, him, but this interviewer has did more pushback. This interviewer did more pushback than any of the journalists I've seen covering the Biden campaign. Let's take a look. Do you think, though, that it's fair for voters to question your commitment to social security when in the past you proposed a freeze to it no i didn't propose a freeze what, look we're talking about is the time you mean when we went together and decided yeah, we talked to about it in the context of balancing the budget no, so is that it, something it, that voters should be it was in the context of we saved social security during the reagan administration was about to go under and everyone from teddy kennedy on voted for that to save social security i when i argued that we should freeze federal spending i meant social security as well I meant Medicare and Medicaid. I meant veterans. I meant every single solitary thing in the government. And I not only tried it once, I tried it twice, I tried it a third time, and I tried it a fourth time. Wowzers. Wowzers. I don't know what's, to me, what stands out about this. We'll get to the Social Security part. Is how easily Joe Biden lies. And that's because he's been in Washington forever. I mean... I don't want to call him a sociopath, but I'm going to call him a sociopath. That's how sociopaths operate. They don't hesitate. They've convinced them because they lie repeatedly, but they just convince themselves they're telling the truth. I mean, he knows that he has called for freezing Social Security. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not knocking uh, – Again, I apologize. I don't know her name or, or I don't know if she's a journalist or an activist. I don't know. But it's not just that he has called to freeze Social Security. He is called to means test Social Security. He is called for raising the age of Social Security. All of this is a cut. All of this is a cut. So he, after he lied and said, I didn't call for a freeze, and credit to her for actually challenging him. This is the bare minimum for challenging. No other reporter has done this. I don't understand. It's like these reporters, they know he's lying, and they just stand there like robots Ooh. demonetized so he's lying but what's so amazing is some politicians are very skilled on their feet when they're lying when they're challenged of muddying the waters i don't like him but ted cruz is very good because he's such a liar and he's such a sociopath he's very good when you challenge him on his lies his inconsistencies he's very good at muddying the waters Joe Biden is not. So Joe Biden just very calmly lied right there and said, I never froze it. And she said, 
well, you did. And his response was very, very feeble, very, very weak. Oh, you mean when, you mean when during Reagan's time? So wait a minute. You just said you didn't, and now you're admitting you did. So you're admitting you're a liar. I wish you would have said, um, you didn't just call for it during Reagan. You called for it during George H.W. Bush. You called for it during Bill Clinton. You called for it during Obama as Obama's vice president. Sam Stein points it out for the Daily Beast. Biden and Obama spent a lot of months pursuing a deal with Republicans that would have cut Social Security and Medicare, Medicare benefits. This is a matter of public record. They changed their tune in the latter years, but the history is pretty, pretty clear on this. But what's incredible about this is like right now for Democrats, you have such a gift politically. You have Donald Trump who lied his way into the White House. He should thank his lucky stars he faced Hillary Clinton. He said while he was running, well, this is going to be unpopular, but we got to cover everybody. Universal health care. He said, I will never, ever cut Medicare, Social Security. None of that. Not happening. He just said, he just said that he is willing to cut Medicare, Social Security. It's something we got to look at, which in Washington means you give me another four years, Oh, yeah. Those entitlements, which aren't even entitlements because we pay into it. Oh, yeah. I'm coming for them. He just said it. So you have this amazing opportunity. Healthcare is the number one polling issue among Democratic primary voters. Republicans, when polled, it's up there as number one or two. Healthcare and the economy. You have this amazing opportunity to draw a contrast to Donald Trump, who just said he would cut it. I don't know. There's a candidate out there who's been calling for expanding it for years. There's a candidate out there who is literally on the White House lawn speaking up against the Obama-Biden administration who is trying to put Social Security on the table for a, quote, grand bargain with Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell. That was Bernie Sanders fighting the good fight against putting your Social Security, your Medicare that you've paid into on the chopping block. You're going to put Joe Biden up, who has called not once, not twice, not three times. I did it a fourth time. And by the way, it's not just, and, you know, I don't want to criticize Bernie's campaign. You know, I'm not a political strategist, but like, it isn't just Social Security. They're laser focused on Social Security right now, but I really hope How about we throw in there the bankruptcy bill? How about we throw in there him voting and pushing to repeal Glass-Steagall to give his banking masters and his credit card company masters the ability to to play Russian roulette with your 401ks? The repeal of Glass-Steagall is why we had the 2008 financial crash. So journalists, actual journalists, should be challenging Biden, not just on Social Security, bankruptcy bill, Glass-Steagall repeal, repealing derivatives, Patriot Act. Obviously, Iraq. There's so many things. NAFTA. Joe Biden is a train wreck. He's a train wreck up against Donald Trump. Donald Trump is going to be the muddy. What is Joe Biden going to say? You know, he's trying to cut Social Security and Medicare. And Donald Trump is going to say, look at this corrupt crook. He's been calling to cut Social Security for Medicare for, you know, 30 years. I'm never going to let Social Security. Oh, wait. But Trump, you called you call for this. And you called to look at Social Security and Medicare in January. 
Fake news. It's called muddying the waters. He's really, really good at it. As Joe Biden lies, uh, he is looking for a little lifeboat. You know, he sees his boat sinking. Uh, he's fallen back in Iowa. He's fallen back in New Hampshire. And if he loses Iowa and he loses New Hampshire, I don't know how you claim to be the most electable if you, the last vice president, uh, and supposedly the best to take on Trump, loses the first two states. If he loses Iowa, if he loses New Hampshire, it isn't looking good for him in Nevada. A lot of people forget Nevada this time is before South Carolina. So, of course, Biden would love an endorsement that would help him. And as such, we're hearing reports out of establishment land for the people, for the people, Kamala Harris, who had that moment in the first debate, you know, attacking Joe Biden. She's apparently weighing an endorsement of Joe Biden. Oh, boy. She says, uh, Democrats close to Harris said she wanted to carefully consider the potential impact of her endorsement. She was mindful that two of her female colleagues, Amy Klobuchar and Warren, are still in the race. And she's uneasy about the prospect of backing a candidate only to see him or her lose California. My thoughts on Kamala Harris. First of all, Kamala Harris, and you know, I really don't understand, I really don't understand some of these politicians. I mean, I do understand, but I don't understand their political calculus. Could they not like read the room? Could they not understand the pulse of the country? So Kamala Harris, clearly she's borrowing from Elizabeth Warren. She's not going with her conviction. I don't know if she even has conviction. She's just trying to make the smartest political move. So it's kind of like, ooh, if I endorse Joe now, obviously I'm going to be really deeply considered for vice president, which she wants. Joe Biden is 77. He's not looking so good at 77. Could barely finish a a, a sentence. Forgets where he is. Could be a, if he won, could be a one-term president by choice. So Kamala Harris, if she endorses him now... Mr. Biden's going to remember that if he it becomes the nominee. But she's also got a she's up for re-election in the Senate in 2022. 2 years, not so far from now. Well, if I endorse him and he loses Iowa New Hampshire and then he loses California, well, then I'm a big loser too. I don't think she's going to lose Senate in California for endorsing Biden and him losing. But all of these politicians, that's why Bernie is so rare. And that's why Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is so rare. Remember, took a lot of political courage for Ocasio-Cortez. The day Bernie Sanders had a heart attack, she calls him, I'm endorsing you. Most other people, you bet your damn dollar, Elizabeth Warren would have jumped ship because they're all out for power and they're all out for survival. There's no conviction. So Kamala Harris, she wants to have her cake and eat it too. She wants to make sure that whatever she does, there's no political downfall for her. Well, I got news for you. I mean, if Kamala Harris, who I think what she dropped out was down to 5%, endorses Joe Biden now, I don't particularly... I, I, I think a lot of the Kamala Harris supporters already have moved to Biden. 
Maybe they moved to Booker. He dropped out. I think they've already moved to Biden. Maybe some of them have moved to Pete. Maybe some to Warren. But my guess is a lot of them have moved to Biden. Some of the polls I've seen show a lot of them have moved to Biden already. So I don't really know what it would do for Kamala Harris if, I mean, for Biden, if Kamala Harris supported him. Maybe if she got his endorsement, it would coalesce the rest of the establishment around him. I don't think it would make a dent. The only thing a Kamala Harris endorsement would do is soften the blow if Biden lost New Hampshire and South Carolina. You would think if Harris endorses him, it might give him a little bit more protection in South Carolina. But I got news. If Joe Biden loses Iowa, if he loses New Hampshire, if he loses Nevada, then he better, he better win South Carolina by 40 points or he's in trouble. Because you cannot be the most electable and lose the first three contests. And I think if he lost Iowa and New Hampshire, it's very likely the momentum for Bernie. Sure, the media, the Democratic Party will throw it. You think they've been bad to Bernie thus far? You wait. See if he wins Iowa. Oh my God, the knives are going to be out like you've never seen. I hope Bernie's campaign is prepared for that. I, ho- I think they are. Apparently, Elizabeth Warren's campaign is uh, lowering expectations a little bit. Lowering expectations from Politico. Warren's camp warns of a breathless media narrative out of Iowa. Quote, we expect this to be a long nomination fight and have built our campaign to sustain well past Super Tuesday and stay resilient no matter what breathless media narratives come when voting begins. Wrote campaign manager Roger Lau in a memo. The four early state contests are just the beginning. Ooh. Well, what that's called is lowering expectations. What that's called is looking forward with the subtle implication, eh, our campaign's not over when we lose Iowa and New Hampshire. What that's called is projecting strength when in reality, you're in, you're in trouble. Law, Law said the campaign already had several hundred organizing staffers in place that vote in the weeks after Super Tuesday, hires that took place over the last several months, but that the campaign has largely stayed mum about. The Warren campaign rarely discusses strategy publicly, wary of giving rival campaigns insight into its thinking. But the memo provides a glimpse at the team's plan to try to win the nomination through a war of attrition rather than an Iowa knockout. Despite the campaign investing tremendous amounts of the candidate's time and the campaign's money in the Iowa caucuses, the memo appears to be an attempt to gird supporters for a potential loss there and the breathless media narratives that may accompany that. Lau's dispatch, dispatch plots a path to the nomination that relies on collecting delegates past the states, the early states, and even beyond the much-hyped Super Tuesday contest. By then, the, the field will almost certainly be winnowed some, and Warren is likely, to, likely hoping to collect much of the support from candidates who drop out. That's one of the reasons that campaign has been so focused on being palatable alternative to supporters of other candidates. I'm not going to read the rest. So here's the nitty-gritty of this. The bottom line is they could have however many staffers they want to have in states beyond Super Tuesday. But 
They also, in that memo, bragged they have the most staff of any candidate, I think other than Bloomberg, who's got so much staff because he's just a greedy, greedy billionaire. So they have over 1,000 staff nationwide. Bernie's campaign comes second at over 800. So the thing that doesn't make sense financially, if Warren loses Iowa, if she loses Nevada, well, she's got over 1,000 people to, to pay for around the country. Her burn rate, her burn rate, which basically means the amount of money you're going through, is one of the highest of the campaigns because she has so much staff. So the beginning of the end for Kamala Harris, we saw, was when she started laying off like over half of her staff. Well, if Elizabeth Warren doesn't win Iowa, if she doesn't win New Hampshire, I don't want to predict it at the moment. If the caucus was held today in Iowa, I don't think she's going to win based on everything we've seen. But if she loses Iowa, you think the fundraising is going to increase for her heading to New Hampshire? I think if I, if Bernie wins Iowa, the fundraising is going to skyrocket for him. If Bernie loses Iowa, it's probably going to skyrocket for him too. If she loses Iowa, it depends. If she comes in a close second, maybe not. But if she loses Iowa, she's got over 1,000 staff to pay. If she... If fundraising dries up for her heading into New Hampshire, and we've already seen it dry up, she raised, uh, I believe, $3 million less in the last quarter. That would be October, November, and December. She raised $3 million less than she had raised the prior three months before that. So she they could staff up all they want. But if you don't win Iowa, if you don't win New Hampshire, I think she's probably going to have to drop out. At least maybe she'll go to Nevada. But after that, if you don't win any of the first states, second place is not enough. So you're not you're going to have to lay off staff. Well, if you're laying off staff, money is going to dry up from there because people are not going to keep giving money and money to a campaign that's losing and laying off staff. Momentum is a thing in politics. If Bernie loses the first two states, frankly, I don't think he would drop out, but they're going to have to fundraise more. But the difference between Bernie and Warren, I think if Bernie lost the first state, fundraising is still going to skyrocket. I think if Warren loses Iowa, I don't know if fundraising is going to keep coming in hot and heavy. And she has more staff than anyone else. So to me, what this memo is, to me, what it says, knowing politics, my guess is their internal polling is showing her even worse than the public polling is showing. My guess is the internal polling is showing her even lower in Iowa. And remember, if you don't reach that 15% at the caucus sites, you are not eligible to win that caucus, and your voters then have to give their vote elsewhere. So it's not like a primary. She's got to make 15% to get any delegates in Iowa. So I'm telling you, it's not looking good. It's not looking good for Warren. And by the way, that is why the fact that Biden has been slipping the fact that Warren has been sliding, not slipping, she's been sliding. She's been free-falling. The fact that Bernie has been surging in all these polls, that is why you see the sequels to all these things from 2016. That's why you see the sequel brought by Elizabeth Warren, by the way. Bernie's a sexist. Bernie's a sexist. 
That's why you're now seeing Bernie doesn't understand race. But, you know, hanging Joe Rogan around his neck. And 10 days to Iowa, I keep telling you, I'm predicting the communist stuff is coming out. It's not if, it's when, maybe this weekend. They're going to start. They're going to start hitting him with stuff he said in the 1970s, the 1980s. Whether it's the Daily Beast, the Washington Post, the New York Times, CNN. They're going to all of a sudden, oh, statements Bernie Sanders made have been unearthed. Meaning Joe Biden's campaign has been sitting on it for, for months. Probably provided to them by Hillary Clinton's campaign. And they just decided to put it out in the last week before Iowa. It's coming. 